This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, radio astronomy's weekly guide to the best things to see in the night sky in the week of the 11th to the 17th of April. I'm Ezzie Pearson and I'm joined on the podcast today by our reviews editor, Paul Money. So, Paul, what's looking good in the week of the 11th of April? Well, Ezzy, for once we're going to have something a bit fainter. We're not going to go for bright planets. Mm. We will be in the evening sky. Hurrah! (laughs) Nice and convenient for everybody. There's going to be some morning people listening to this. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. But, uh, you know, we will satisfy their urges a bit later on as well. There is something for them as well. So, uh, you know, but uh, it's it's one of those things that we are, we tend to concentrate on the bright planets and say the moon, and we will come to those. But uh, it's nice to have some objects and things that are a bit fainter that gives us a bit more of a challenge you know because we should have a challenge every now and then shouldn't we so on april the 11th you you'll need binoculars i would use timber 50s for this for at least two of the targets i'm going to mention um because what we're looking for is the dwarf planet series now as i say we concentrate on planets at the moment but this is a dwarf planet but at least it's reasonably bright sort of thing so you know unlike sort of thing the cluster sort of thing, it's a dot. There is a cluster next to it. Ceres is passing. The star cluster NGC 
1746. Now, this is in Taurus. And if you actually take the sort of northern hall, go up from the top half of the Hyades and carry on towards El Nath, the star that appears to look as if it's part of Oregon. And as you go up, you actually come across a cluster. In fact, there's several clusters here. There's not just the Pleiades and Hyades in Taurus. There's actually several clusters uh, in there that's well worth having a look at, but they're a lot fainter, so they tend to get missed off. So NGC 1764 is this nice, splashy, quite loose cluster with some quite bright members, but a lot of smattering of fainter members as well. So it does tend to get missed off. So if you've never seen it, this is your chance. So I browse around, and what you find is that Ceres is to its upper right. Now, it is a couple of degrees away, to be fair, from it. But Ceres is around about ninth magnitude. So, you know, binoculars, you should be able to pick it out. And the reason why I wanted to pick this particular um, scene off is that 11th and 12th, we're looking really, not just Ceres, it gives you a chance if you've got a telescope to home in on Ceres because there is, now wait for it, the magnitude, a magnitude 13.8 asteroid or minor world, Nina. So there <laughs> are... If you're named Nina, no, sorry, it's not named after you. It's going to be one of these Greek Roman gods, etc., sort of thing. You know, I've never really gone into that, but uh, look, it's it's seven nine nine in the asteroid database, but it's quite close to Ceres. And the thing is, usually these really faint minor planets get missed because they're not easily observable. But it's really useful. It's a bit like we said about the moon next to a bright star or a moon next to a star or a deep sky. Your eye's drawn to this other object because of the moon. So Ceres allows you to find Nina. Now Ceres will be passing Nina and moving away from it. So this is why you've got it really. It's technically the 10th and the 11th really when they're actually at their closest. So use this dwarf planet Ceres to actually find 799, uh, 779, sorry, Nina and you'll be able to find another object, another of the solar system's many, many bodies, but it is very faint. I th I think you're looking at a 10-inch telescope or greater, to be quite honest. Photographers, though, will be able to record it better. And if you take a sequence of pictures, I'd stay, start, say, on the 9th, so a little bit earlier, and run through to, say, the 12th or 13th. And you should be able, that's if we have clear skies. <laughs> we're all, we're <laughs> always question. optimistic here at BBC Sky at Night magazine. Oh, we've got to be, aren't we, Azzy? Yeah. <laughs> we have to assume every night is going to be clear, sort of thing. Yeah, you know. absolutely. And then we'd have the farmers complaining because it isn't raining, there's no cloud and whatnot, and they need it for the crops. Uh, so we've got to have a nice balance. We do have to have the rain. Of course, us astronomers prefer it raining during the day, unless, of course, you're a solar observer. <laughs> so you can't win, can you? You can't win. So mm -hmm. that's a chance to use Ceres and see it going past a cluster. Now, the open cluster is easier to see, but if you have a good chart, you can actually find Ceres, and then you can use Ceres to find this little asteroid, 13.8 magnitude, 779 Nina. So, um, yeah, minor worlds, but still part of our little family of solar system objects, aren't they? Now... If we move on to the 12th, we're still in the evening sky and we're back to the moon. I know, our favourite object, isn't it, Ezzy? It's always the favourite object because it's the most dominant. 
But I like it when it makes patterns. And on the 12th, it's actually in Leo. It's to the uh, slightly to the upper left of Regulus, but it actually makes a bit of a trapezoidal shape um, with three of the stars of Leo in the sickle part of the asterism. So you've got Regulus at the bottom, you've got Eta, uh, the next star up, and then your Algebra, which is Gamma Leonis. And again, Gamma is a fantastic golden pair of stars. It's a double star, similar sort of distance separation as, say, Castor sort of thing. So uh, whereas with Castor, it's pure white, two gorgeous white stars. Uh, Algebra is gorgeous golden yellow stars next to each other in the sky. So Ooh, the moon lovely. is forming. The, sorry? Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh, it is, definitely. I mean, it is, to me, one of the gems in terms of double stars of the spring sky. And I just keep going back to look at it, sort of thing. But you do need to use a bit of magnification on it. But I say, at the moment, you've got the moon on the 12th. Look about nine o'clock, you know, that's about the right time. It's a nice, convenient time, isn't it? And uh, you've got this trapezoidal shape with Algebra, Eta, and then Regulus. Regulus being the... Heart of the Lion, the king of the actual uh, constellation, and uh, Alpha Leonis. So there we are, sort of thing. So well worth having a look at those. Now, Leo and Virgo are relatively large. It's been like we mentioned about Gemini before. It takes at least three days for the moon to cross if the moon starts right on the border on one side and goes to the border of the other side. And Leo's a bit similar. So it takes a while for it to get across. And then if you wait until the 15th and 16th, on the 15th, the moon is heading towards full. So obviously the sky is going to get light, it's going to drown out a lot of the faint stars, but it won't drown out the star that's to the upper right of the moon on the 15th, and that's Porima. And again, you're going to start thinking, I've got an obsession with double stars, aren't you? I know, <laughs> I can, I know, I know. But, Don't um, you? But, well, I do, <laughs> I suppose I do actually to a certain extent, because I do like looking at them. And Porima is a really tight double, and Porima is one of those odd ones whereby sort of thing, if you observe over a few years, you can actually see the separation changing. And in fact, at times, it can be incredibly difficult. In fact, amateurs can't separate them, they're so close. But the good news is it has widened so we can split them easily. So Parma is another pair of white stars next to each other, a gorgeous pairing, so have a look at that. And the moon is actually in a guide, so it points you in the direction. So Parma is to the upper right of the moon on the 15th. Now, that means Spica is directly below. Spica is alpha. Virginis. So it's well below, it's quite a few degrees well below the moon. So if you see Parma, then the moon, then well below, you'll see Spica. And Spica is the dominant star, actually, of Virgo. But the moon will be to its left, and it will be full on the 16th. So it will be to the lower left of Spica itself. And so the thing about the full moon is that We've often, I can remember a lot of books in my, when I first started in astronomy many, many years ago, you understand. But often saying, oh, full moon is the worst time to observe the moon. Um, you don't get any sharp relief from craters or anything like that sort of thing. The best time is to observe, you know, when the Terminator is sweeping across the actual landscape. Um, but the, the fact is, there are features on the moon that are really highlighted during full moon or close to full moon phase. And that's the ray features on the moon. So, you know, don't ignore the moon when it's full. Do have a look at it. Um, there's a lot of 
fun about it being at supermoons and close moons and furthest moons and whatnot. To be quite frank, nine times out of ten, visually, you can't tell the difference. You, know, you don't. Yeah. I mean, you can't mentally keep an image from one month to the next and then visually compare it. Photographers can, and yeah. you can see the difference when you take photographs without. I've doubt. seen some some really interesting kind of like photo collages and type things where people have tracked it over like an entire year, and you can see it sort of going and, and shrinking again those are always really fun so if anybody fancies a photography challenge maybe yeah do, maybe that, there's one that'd be a brilliant one um because you know i mean we forget that the moon's orbit isn't perfectly circular it does vary mm. and so mm-hmm. there are times when it's further away so it's smaller and when it's clear nearer it's larger so uh, well worth having and of course it's when it's larger it's when they tend to call it the super moon when it's a lot larger than normal but visually we don't really you can't really tell the difference um i had somebody tell me once that oh it's absolutely brilliant so they're much brighter than normal and i was thinking well if i can't tell the difference and i'm a seasoned <laughs> observer um you know you, you say you can't keep the memory from one full moon to the next it you know it just doesn't work like that but i mean there are features and then the ray features i think and there are some bright craters as well to look out for on the moon that stand out really well during full moon so full moon is a time when you can observe it and you will see features and i say tycho's rays in particular extend right across the disc at times you can follow them for uh, literally thousands of miles so uh, well worth seeing how many of the ray patterns you can actually see so don't ignore full moon full moon has got its own wonder about it sort of thing um if you use a telescope finally this week on the 17th we're in the evening sky look around towards the west southwest very low now this is bright evening twilight but if you're low in the west southwest about 9 p.m again by now 9 p.m we're beginning to see the sky getting lighter see as the the month has progressed even during this course of the week the sky is getting lighter at nine o'clock but you will look for and you will see mercury mercury has moved into the evening sky and it has Good and bad apparitions in the evenings, and this is a relatively good one. So it'll carry on through the rest of April, so we'll deal with that next week, but Mercury in Achivat is in the evening twilight itself. But I mentioned the last gasp the other week, but this could be really your last gasp to get Uranus. Now, it'll be difficult. It's in bright twilight. I like challenges. I like to see if it can be done. Something mm-hmm. a 5.8 magnitude planet in such a bright evening twilight. But when you've got a bright planet near it, it's well worth having a go at just to see if you can actually spot it sort of thing. Whether you'll be able to pick it up photographically, I don't know. So this is the evening twilight sort of thing. Use Mercury as a guide for Uranus, which will be to its slightly to its lower left sort of thing. It's not very much lower, but it'll be to the lower left. But after that, you will, we will have lost Uranus. It'll be too low in the evening twilight and mm-hmm. heading towards solar conjunction. But whilst it does that, Mercury will start to climb higher in the sky. So there we are, Ezzy, another week of events for us. Yeah, it sounds like there's quite a few doubles in there for people to to try and split apart if that's what they like um as well as a whole bunch of other stuff so whatever you feel like there should be something this week for you to observe uh thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about it all paul as a pleasure if you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month be sure to pick up a copy of bbc sky at night magazine where we have a 16 page pull out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for 
Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our Sky Guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Colley. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 